Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Mark Santum. So uh, we're in our continuation of the One Word series. Uh, the word we are um, tackling today is restoration. It's the word that was on my heart and was actually also um, suggested by one of the congregation uh, members uh, several months ago. Um, so when you think of that word restoration, um, don't you love to see things restored? I'll ask for a shameless showing of hands. How many of you love HGTV? You love the shows like Fixer Upper and Property Brothers? How many of you love that? That is incredible, all right? I'm not sure I did, but um, the more I watch it, I admit that it is, uh, it is very compelling. If you like uh, the restoration of cars or shows like American Restoration, just to see old things turn into new. So we have a few pictures up there now. You can see, uh, now these weren't from the show. These are maybe some from fire damage. You can keep showing the next one. We'll just look through these. Yeah, we got the restoration. I did that last summer, but you know, no big deal. Uh, we got these be- beautiful before and after shots of things that have been restored. Isn't that great? And, uh, and that's the other before. All right. All right. I couldn't resist it. We were talking about before and after, so um, not all politicians are that uh, diabolical like cats are, but um, it does seem to be the prevailing sentiment, doesn't it? The dictionary definition, if you're just looking at the standard American dictionary uh, for restoration, uh, here is the definition. I think it's on the screen. To bring back something to existence or return something to its former or normal condition. Right? So that is cool. Whenever you get to see anything, an old house or an old car, it's just great to see these things restored. Like, hey, it used to be like this back in 1963. And then we thought it was headed for the junk pile, and all of a sudden somebody came and restored it, and, and now we're like in a time machine. We're back in 1963 again. But better yet, don't you love, doesn't God love, even more importantly, to see relationships restored? Well, um, we start right off the bat. Let's just keep it real, something that will probably hit home for a lot of us. Um, let's check out a story here, uh, a couple by the name of Jeffrey and Rachel Hardcastle. You want to roll that video? All right, if you haven't noticed, there's one thing that was missing from that story. Restoration, right? Now, we haven't heard the end of Jeffrey and Rachel's story, but the reason I stopped it there is because the fullness, the beauty of restoration can never be fully experienced until you first experience loss. Feeling the weight of loss. That's a very important ingredient. So we all know that the deeper the loss, the greater the restoration. And before, again, we can celebrate and understand restoration, we must first see and invite God to experience us and us to experience God in our loss. So the book of Joel, there's a, there's a, a, a beautiful and hard chapter to read, Joel chapters 1 and 2. Um, loss and restoration are very prominent in these books. So real quickly, the, the, the quick background there, Joel, he's one of the earliest of the writing prophets. He prophesied likely during the reign of King Joash. But because Judah's heart had drifted from the Lord, uh, the Lord called Joel to call the nation back. Because if they didn't, they were going to experience what was called the day of the Lord. Now, when we think of the day of the Lord, a lot of us that it probably brings a very visceral emotion. You're probably like, day of the Lord, ah, or day of the Lord, ah, right? 
So the latter is what Joel's talking about here. The day of the Lord is not something that you wanted to experience. Because unlike a lot of the other minor prophets, they looked and they saw that there was a lack of justice in, the, in, in, in Israel, in, in Judah, and they kept calling the nation back to justice. But here, there's no mention of justice. He's, they're calling the nation of Judah back to worship because their hearts have drifted from God. And so according to Joel, the day of the Lord that was coming in three important events. The first one was a plague of locusts or natural disasters that would crush the nation economically. So can you imagine, you know, even the United States, if you had another um, 2008, you know, you know, on steroids and you're yet an invading army, like the invading army of Canada. Okay, that's not very threatening. But um, if you had war and economic disaster, you would imagine you'd feel the weight of that. And the second of these three uh, Day of the Lord events was the not-so-in-the-distant-future invasion of the Assyrian army that would lay waste to the nation of Judah, bringing on its eventual exile. So these are two very impending economic collapse and an invading army. You're going to feel the weight of loss. And the third event is an eschatological event. That means uh, it's futuristic, in which the Lord would judge every person from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Now that event has not happened yet. This is, uh, he's talking about the return of the Lord. Um, so even back then, he, his, his prophecy was kind of in, in tears. So what I wanted to do is, I went, let me read a portion. I'll skip a few verses here and there in Joel chapter two. It's not gonna be on the screen. If you have that on your Bible or phone, you can follow through, but if not, you can listen to me. So I want you to feel the weight of the loss that these, these prosperous people of Judah who let their hearts drift away, you could see that what the day of the Lord was coming and they were experiencing great loss. Um, and it's kind of funny because the, the, the Joel 2 starts out, blow the trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm from my holy mountain. Now, if any of you are old like me, right? Back in the 70s, 80s, you guys remember that song that we used to sing? Blow the trumpet in Zion, right? And we used to worship to that, all right? That's the worst exegesis ever because this is talking about the day of doom coming. And if we had, sometimes musicians don't make the, they should actually study the context first because that's a horrible song. All right. <laughs> Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near a day of darkness, a day of gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness like blackness. There is spread upon the mountains there is a great and powerful people. Their like has never been seen before, talking about the Assyrian army. Nor will there be after them again for the years of all generations. Fire devours before them and flames behind them. The land before them is like the Garden of Eden, very lush. But behind them, it's like a desolate wilderness and nothing escapes them. All right, does this sound like a good worship song you want to keep singing? The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon are darkened, the stars withdraw their shining. Uh, a lot of medical, metaphorical uh, language here, but you get the, the gist. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and awesome. And we don't mean great and awesome in the way that we use great and awesome. It should be great and, and, and terrible in that sense. Who can endure it? So can you imagine getting a prophetic word like this over your life? Talk about the loss. So we'll skip a few verses, and this is the greatness of the Lord, because first there's the doom, and then there's the heart of God. Yet now, declares the Lord, return to me, Judah, with all of your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning, and rend your hearts 
not just your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. And then there comes some language, some verses down on restoration. Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord had answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending you grain and wine and oil, and you will be satisfied. And I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in your Lord, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for your abundant rain in the early and the latter rain as before. So they have to experience this loss, but the Lord is promising them restoration. And here's a verse that a lot of you will, will know. The threshing, the threshing floors will be full of grain. Your vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore the years that the swarming locust has eaten. The hopper, the destroyer, the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your heart that you are certainly a God of justice. You are a jealous God as well over our hearts. You desire our love and our obedience and you deserve them. So we just pray as we uh, spend uh, the, the balance of our time here in your word uh, that you would show us the beauty of your restorative powers, the beauty and how you celebrate restoration and are with us in our loss. In the meantime, in Jesus' name, amen. So let, we looked at the dictionary definition, right, of restoration. Uh, the biblical one, as it usually is the case, is a little bit different. Um, it's not just about bringing something back to its previous and normal condition. Because let me tell you this, once Jesus gets his hands on your loss, there ain't nothing normal about that, amen? The biblical, this is more of a biblical definition of restoration. To receive back more, everybody say more. That is key than what has been lost to the point where the final state is greater. Everybody say greater. greater. Than the original condition. How many like the biblical definition more than Merriam-Webster's definition? Yeah, amen. So, um, so to receive back more, that both means both quantitative and qualitative. Um, to the quick example, when you think of restoration and loss, one of the most prolific books you can think of, and, and Neil quoted this in the beginning of the service, is Job. Now, let me just say, first of all, Job is kind of a unique case. There's not a biblical precedent that the Lord has this conversation with the devil over all of us all the time, all right? So before you say, well, I'm just like Job, well, first of all, you're probably not, all right? You can say, well, I, I feel like I'm going through a Job-esque situation. All right, we'll allow that. So he was, a, you know, he's a very wealthy man, 10,000 animals, lots of land, servants, big family. After, after the Lord um, allowed the devastation in his life, this loss, there's some great lessons we can learn from Job because I want to speak to us that are in that season of loss right now. After experiencing great loss, the scriptures say Job fell to the ground and worshipped. He fell to the ground and worshipped. This also reminds me, if you, how many of you know and love that worship singer Jeremy Camp, right? That dude's got, that dude's got mm, not just a beautiful voice, but a huge heart behind it. But if you ever read his story about when his wife died of cancer there, right? in his arms in the hospital. He just saw her flatline, and he said the first thing he did is lift his head, his hands, his head and hands to heaven, and he worshiped, right as his wife went home to be with him. This is the kind of heart we're talking about. And so it goes on to say that uh, the, the, the Lord is worthy to be praised in times of loss, even before the restoration comes. 
Job says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I remember a word of faith, faith preacher. They don't like that, that verse. They said, well, Job certainly wasn't under the anointing when he said that. I'm like, well, yeah, actually he was. So the Lord, the, the sovereign Lord, he gives and he takes away. Um, and how many of you realize now when the Lord took something from your life, it was really difficult at first, but then years later you look back like, God, thank you that you took that from me. Just like we could take things away from our kids that they love for their own good. In Job 40, so Job 42, 10, after he goes through all of the loss, and you know, he has the, you know, arguably the worst set of friends ever. They're giving this horrible advice. Um, Job 42, 10 says, and the Lord restored the fortunes of Job, listen to this, after he had prayed for his friends. So even in a time of loss, even if we're in a time of loss now, let's do what Job did. First thing you do is you worship. And the second is you keep ministering and praying for others. Do not get in this cage of self-pity. Like, oh, it's all, baby. I know that, I know that temptation. I've been there. But to keep worshiping, keep looking up and keep looking out. That is, a, that is what a, a mature believer does. Um, and, and, it, and it says, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. And the Lord blessed his latter days of Job more than his former days, living 140 years. So he blessed Job both quant qualitatively, or quantitatively, he gave him twice as much as he had before, and qualitative, qualitatively, he blessed his later days earlier, uh, more than he did his earlier days. Amen, that's the kind of restorative God that we have. So what I love is that the whole thing about restoration, if you show the next slide, is part of our whole gospel narrative. Uh, if somebody, if you don't know these four, these four words, you should know them. Because if anyone asks you, hey, what, what's the whole gospel about? It really is a kind of a drama in four acts. The creation, the fall, redemption, and restoration. First of all, there's God's creation, where he created a life and everything was good. The, the apex of his creation, which is men and women. So that's creation and the fall, of course, is when uh, men and women, they, we decided that we turned away from God. Rebellion, sin comes in, the curse the earth falls under a curse along with the hearts of men. So we have creation fall and then of course redemption. The, the beautiful act that, that happened about 2,000 years ago when Christ shed his blood, gave his life uh, for our redemption. He bought us back through his death and resurrection. And the fourth act, we're right in between act number three and four right now. Theologians call that the, the time of the already but not yet. The, the kingdom of God is already here but it's not yet fully restored. And that will happen, obviously, whenever Jesus returns with his holy angels and wraps this whole thing up. Um, but you, what I love about this is that when Jesus restores something, it doesn't just come back in its previous normal condition. There's a big difference between something being returned and something being restored, all right? Now, it is good if you get something uh, if you lose something, let's just say you're on the Bahamas trip and you lose your passports. Hey, Emma, sup? <laughs> I sure don't let her leave. It was an innocent mistake. So, and then they lost them and then somebody graciously returned them uh, to the embassy there. You're able to get them back. So that, that's a good thing whenever, whenever, when things get returned. But whenever you have things restored, and I know there are people in here, I won't name names, you have lost years to addiction, right? Addiction had, had totally sidelined you, taken, taken over your life, where you've been able to do anything for the Lord, and the, and the Lord delivered you, and he has restored you, uh, not back in forgiveness and reconciliation with others, 
And for as good as something is to have it returned, to be restored, whew, that is the next level. What I love about this, because at the end of Joel 2, you know, restoration, you don't get, you don't get things back just the way they were, but God gives you more. So let's look. A lot of you said, if you're look, reading Joel 2, you're like, Mark, you left out the best part. Well, I'm going to read the best part right now, because at the very end, in verses 28 and 29, and it shall come to pass that afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, even on male and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit. And this was obviously quoted by Peter in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. So when the Lord restored, just didn't give Judah what it had before. But oh, when he restores, he pours out. Remember, because the spirit of God is limited to the, you know, oh, you, got, you, have to be, you have to be a card-carrying Israelite, right? But now in the New Testament, the gate, the, 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 the temple curtain is torn in two. The gates are open wide. The spirit was poured out on all flesh. So it's a quantitative and qualitative difference there. Amen. So there are three ways, as we turn the corner here, that biblical re- restoration can manifest in our lives. Um, and there are more than three ways, but let me, let me offer these three for you. The first one is this. You can go to the next slide. Gratitude for God's power and for his goodness. And again, especially after deep loss. So, for instance, if you lose your MP3 player, all right? Now, oh yeah, Tina, that, that story is so great because it shows that the Lord cares about little things. Tina lost her MP3 player years ago. We could not find this thing. Tina has a good anointing for finding things. And she couldn't find it. I was like, well, maybe the Lord means for this to be gone. Maybe, um, maybe I should get a new iPod, right? But Tina didn't like that. So we were talking on the couch one day, and I just remember we were talking about, where is that MP3 player? Where did it go? And as I was saying it, the Holy Spirit said, put your hand down on the couch right now. So she's talking to me. I went, whoop. My hand went right to it. And she's talking. I was like, yeah, yeah. She pointed, she's talking. I'm like, where can it be? <laughs> Pulled it right out. Like, Lord, you're so awesome. He cares where the MP3 player is. Um, but the deal is, if you lose, like, car keys for a day, you're happy to get them back. You're grateful. If you lose your dog for a month and you get them back, you're even more grateful. And if you have a prodigal son or daughter that come back to you after 10 years, are there even words to describe that? So the sense of God's power and his good news, the gratitude for that, always accompanies... Um, restoration when God moves on our behalf. The second thing is we get a grasp on God's strength and newness of life. Remember, things don't come back the same. If you ever saw the movie Pet Cemetery, that's cool, but if, don't go out of your way to see it. It's kind of a Stephen King movie, but the premise was, you know, uh, a cat died and they built it, buried it in his pet cemetery, and it comes back to life, but it doesn't come back the same, and it ain't, and it ain't any better. It comes back evil, and they buried their son there. That's a horrible, horrible movie. So this is so great because the gospel says whenever, whenever things come back to life, they are better than before. They're not worse. They don't try to kill you, right? So when God restores things that comes with new life, 1 Peter 5.10 says, after you have suffered a little while, he's talking to Christians that were going through suffering, he said, he himself will restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. Right? And Peter echoed this in Galatians 6 when he said, whenever we, you find somebody that is in a sin, like in a pit of sin that can't get out themselves, he said, instead of judging them, you should restore them gently. And so that the Greek word for restore or restoration is the same word that a medical doctor would use to set a broken bone. So that's what it means to restore gently. But the, the cool thing about strength is, you guys know this, whenever you uh, have a broken bone, right, 
the place where it heals becomes the strongest place in that bone. And so I just love that it's so paradoxical. I love it. If any of you read uh, Henri Nouwen's Wounded Healer, the place of such great um, brokenness and loss often becomes the greatest place of strength and you can minister with great empathy and power to other people that are broken in that area. And number three is a sense of God's glory and ultimate restoration. You know, we always have things that are always pointing forward, right? So in the Old Testament, the high priest, Moses' rock, the Passover lamb, these are all things that are pointing to Christ. And so nowadays, like every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, which we'll be doing momentarily, the whole concept of marriage, it points us, not just to the here and now, points us to the great wedding feast of the lamb that will happen uh, whenever the, the restoration of God is ushered in. Because every, every time something is restored to us, in a small, medium, or great way, just remember, it isn't just what it is in and of itself. It's pointing to that great day. It should always be reminded of us that ultimate restoration is coming. Ultimate restoration is coming. And, and when God restores, it's just not for our good. Remember, it's always for His glory. So if God ever restores something to you, and you or me don't give Him glory for that, uh, that is probably one of the saddest commentaries that we can make. Because, guys, Revelation 21, 1 through 4, it's a real thing. It's going to happen. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That, my friends, is the restoration that is coming. And every restoration we have now points to that. And let's not forget it because it is for his glory. Um, for the sake uh, of time, I'm going to, to skip to... Um, uh, the, the practical application of this. What does restoration mean for us today individually? Well, we started off by seeing the, the hard part of uh, the story between um, Rachel and her husband. And so we can't leave that story hanging. So let's watch the rest of that and then we'll finish our service. So if you want to show that video now, that would be great. Mm, so good. I know a lot of you can relate to that story, either from a restoration point or a loss point. Maybe it's not your marriage that needs to be restored. Maybe it's another vital family relationship or friendship. Maybe someone close to you is trapped in a sin. Maybe you're trapped in a sin and there's restoration that needs to happen. Maybe it's your trust in somebody or in the church that needs to be restored. You certainly wouldn't be the first one. Maybe it's your passion for ministry and service. It feels like it's waned, it's ebbed, it's flowed. Uh, maybe some of you that are a little bit older, maybe you feel, it doesn't have to necessarily be older, but you lament your lost years, which cannot be replaced. You know what? Uh, Job lived 140. I doubt that will happen in your case. You probably don't want it to. But what happens is God will take that and restore that qualitatively. Do you remember that there's, Jesus spoke about a parable that a harvest could could come back um, 30, 60, or 100-fold. So if you just do the math there, there's a huge difference between those three harvests. So three years 
at a hundredfold is as much fruit as a decade at thirtyfold. So you see, it's not the, the number of years that you have, but it's the fruitfulness within those years. And if you feel that you've lost so many years not following Jesus, the Lord can restore that qualitatively. We don't get to decide how Jesus restores or when Jesus restores. That is up to him. Amen. And some of you just need uh, your relationship with Jesus restored. Even quantitatively, you literally do not spend enough time with him. And so my prayer is that that part of that restoration, that you will quantitatively spend more time with Jesus, just like you spend time with the things that you love. Or in qualitatively, remember Psalm 8410, the psalmist said, Lord, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. The psalmist didn't care about the number of days, did he? He cared about the quality. Better is one day, oh God, than thousands. So my, my prayer for you, if you need a, a restored relationship with Jesus, that you would feel that both quantitatively and qualitatively. And finally, I will say this. What does this mean? What do I feel that restoration means for KPC in this season of change? Um, I talked to Jonathan Zook there last night. Um, I just wanted to share this with you. If you were on a uh, session, uh, you'll know this as well. So like a month and a half ago, I think this is important um, uh, for me to share. So uh, about a month and a half ago, whenever the session, whenever we knew that um, Steve, Shiloh, and myself would be leaving, we had, uh, we had some folks from our presbytery that are kind of experts in all these kind of church situations. They came up and joined us that night. So... Uh, uh, Jonathan was with several others in the, in the prayer room right down the hall in the chapel, like five, six, or seven of them. And they pray all the time. They wait on the Lord, but never, in the, and they always pray on the night that session meets, never before did they ever interrupt our meeting until that night. So Jonathan knocked on the door. He had no idea what was going on. And he said, hey, we were just praying, and we just felt the Lord gave us this picture, and we just felt strongly that we needed to share it with you. So he came in and just shared that uh, there's a vision, um, that they had a vision of a stump, a tree stump that had been cut and pruned off. It was just sitting there, kind of lifeless. And then uh, from on high, there was a tree that had come down right on top of that stump, and it, it all kind of fused together, and then sprang to life. And the word that they saw over there was restoration. And he said, this is the word that we feel is for KPC. And he had no, they had no idea what was going on in that meeting. So we received that and known that in part, that, that, that leader, that, um, that, that represents new leadership, represents coming of the spirit, you know, even Joy's word this morning about the pruning and, 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 and the fruitfulness. Uh, I think this is all truly of the Lord. And so the last thing I'll say to you is this. Restoration is coming and that has been... Um, that has been confirmed in many ways, shape, or form for this body. But a lot of us know we are not there yet. We are still, if you were here for Steve's pruning sermon, let that continue to marinate in your soul because there needs to be, even as Trisha's word said today, a time for brokenness and repentance. Say, Lord, what do you want to cut back in me? So in order for the restoration to really have a lot of weight and gravity, right, let us invite the Lord into our season of loss and pruning, pruning to do what he needs to do so that the restoration isn't on us. Last thing we want to do is take fake fruit to a tree and say, Lord, look what we did. Fruit that comes out of a tree never struggles. It just is whenever there's life. 
And so we're trusting that the Lord is bringing that tree and we are going to have truly fruit, God's fruit all over this church once again. It's not going to be for our glory, but it's going to be for his. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the KPC podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.